Welcome to the One Nation Podcast. One Nation Party USA is a national political party in service to your freedom, personal capacities, dignity, and stewardship of our land and future. One Nation believes that the time has come to transcend our polarized politics and begin the process of upgrading our systems on behalf of creating a thriving future for all life on Earth. In this first series of episodes on the One Nation podcast, we'll be exploring some key orienting ideas of the party. To do this, we'll be joined in conversation by Christopher Life, one of the initiators of One Nation. Like what you hear? Consider becoming a member of One Nation by going to www.onenation.party or by finding us on Facebook at one Nation Party USA. Disagree with what you hear? Reach out to us and share your perspective. Unlike other political parties, we see disagreement as a doorway to deeper understanding, and we welcome your feedback. You can reach us at participate at onenation.party. Welcome back to the One Nation podcast. This is the second episode in this first series of conversations where we're exploring some of the key concepts and ideas that are a part of One Nation. And so in the first conversation that we had together, we tried to answer this question or approach this question, what is One Nation? In this conversation, we're going to be taking a look at or exploring probably the, the second most popular question, which is, what is your platform? Right? So when people first hear about One Nation, this is a question that inevitably comes up. You, know, you hear about Democrats, their platform is healthcare. You hear about Republicans, their platform might be something to do with immigration or fiscal policy. But um, you know, the platform orientation of One Nation it's a little bit different, and it's a really delightful conversation. It's a really fun conversation, and I think it, it points the direction as to why One Nation is uniquely appropriate kind of medicine for the politics of our time. And so we might say that the primary policy perspective of One Nation is togetherness, right? It's about the quality of the conversation instead of a particular policy. And this means that more important than talking about this over that is discovering how to ensure all the right voices are present and that the context is right and suitable for healthy and productive dialogue that brings us towards better decisions, win-win decisions. At first blush, this might seem a bit counterintuitive when compared to the politics that we are used to. And so I'm pleased to welcome back Christopher Life to help us sink our teeth into this important topic and question. Christopher, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Daniel. And so, you know, maybe we could just start, you know, in a broad way and then we'll find our way into various uh, delightful facets of this question. But, you know, why is it that one Nation is a party, we might say, of process over policy 
And why is that so significant for in relationship to like the current state of American politics? Yeah, we have uh, been raised up in a political system that um, uses very short, definitive, polarizing statements to uh, reinforce a policy platform, uh, inherently a divisive tactic uh, designed to signal to who's in the tribe and who's out of the tribe, who is the, who's on our side and who are the bad guys. Um, we're for this, not against that, all that kind of a language. And um, it's fundamentally binary in nature and it's fundamentally inadequate to actually have a meaningful conversation around any of the topics that matter to America and Americans and the world. And I think that when people might first hear about going for a process over a particular ideology, um, there might be a initial sense of skepticism that somehow this is over idealistic and it's not actually how, how things work and that, that people don't actually have the attention span to have meaningful conversations and political discourse on certain topics. Um, but I think that what's actually uh, completely idealistic and, and inadequate is the belief that that binary thinking can create any value in the world, um, create mm -hmm. any material value that can actually uh, protect our land and our people and our global community. And I think there's a Albert Einstein quote that says something along the lines of, you can't deal with uh, problems with the same quality of consciousness that created them. And the level of complexity of the issues of our time are simply more complex, more sophisticated, more intricate, more interconnected than overly simplistic thinking can be able to address. And mm. so what we've come to the conclusion of uh, on the One Nation side of things that I think many people are coming to the conclusion of uh, around the country and around the world is that we actually must, not because we're idealistic or we want to like um, sing kumbaya and make everyone get along, although we, we want that too, but we actually don't have any other choices. We've hit the, the dead end, the, the end of the road of, of an overly simplistic political discourse. And now is uh, it's being demanded of us uh, if we want to actually uh, move into a future that isn't dystopian, it feels like the only option is for us to raise the level of intelligence and or consciousness and or sophistication in how we actually even think about and talk about the political issues of our day. Um, so there's a, there's a one place to, to start you know, the conversation. So as a result of everything I just said, um, one nation is fully committed to not falling into the rut of providing these short answers that were for this or against that, that people are used that they've been trained to listen for in order to know if you're on my team or not on my team. And um, we believe that there's tens of a million millions of Americans that are actually ready to be initiated into a higher quality of consciousness. Um, there's some people that might just not be willing to apply the attention span to hear a more sophisticated conversation, but uh, tens of millions of Americans is, is not an immaterial amount. 
and one nation is bringing forward a, a political platform, inviting people into the future of political discourse. Right. And, and I want to double click on one of the pieces you brought in, which is that it's sort of like the complexity of our modern world is sort of, I think, asking us, inviting us to up-level the complexity of how we approach governance, right? And so it's like, maybe it was okay for a while to have just sort of a, a decision just between two poles or, you know, yes or no. But now, given the nature of the world that we're moving into, it seems like the only possible future path available to us is one in which we're making radically more intelligent decisions by including radically more diversity of perspectives. And that is only possible by changing the way we have conversations. Like there's no particular policy that will sort of take us to this new way of making policy together, which is really, I think, what you're pointing to, right? It's like, it's not so much that a certain policy, whatever it is, is going to really resolve the kind of tensions of our time, but instead a change in the way that we make policy in general. Is that, is that right? Yeah. I mean, you're going to hear the term rebirth used much in One Nation, especially over the next couple of years. And this is a perfect time to, to bring that word into this conversation, right? So if you think about the founding fathers, um, they actually, more than anything else, institutionalized a process, not a particular policy. Um, and they created a process that was their best attempt to be something that was superior to the monarchical systems that they had previously been a part of. And that process was able to meet many of the demands of the last 300 years um, because you could throw a whole bunch of circumstances into that process and the process would produce um, outputs that resulted in, in I think you could uh, objectively state that America is, has become the most creative and most prosperous uh, nation in the history of humanity. Hmm. So, so they nailed it, right? <laughs> they, they, they didn't say, we're just going to do this, this, and this. They, they, they gave us a process. Um, so in a lot of regards, we're actually going back to that original intention. Um, hmm. And they also said they've given us a republic if we can keep it. And what that is fundamentally premised on is that if you have a sufficiently educated uh, citizenry that cares sufficiently about participating in political dialogue, then the Republic will keep working. And if you have anything other than that, the Republicans going, the Republic's going to start to break. And that's exactly what happened. And so mm. as we have um, focused on uh, education, as we have decreased, excuse me, as we focus on entertainment, as we have decreased people's attention spans, as we have used consumerism to manipulate people's value sets, then um, quote unquote, the, the powers that be are those that have driven some of these societal circumstances um, have effectively pulled civic engagement out from under its rugs, be, out from the, under the rug, because that was um, 
a primary requirement on that was the educated populace was willing to participate in political discourse. So it, it's fully a rebirth from the original intention of uh, democracy in our modern world and of America. Uh, and to your point, it's also this, this moment of going forward and, and rebirth always points to going back and going forward simultaneously. And so, we, yes, we have to move into a quality of conversation and intelligence that matches the magnitude, severity, and complexity of the problems of our time. And there is no question that between uh, rising human populations and uh, collapsing ecosystems and the rise of artificial intelligence and yeah. the list goes on and on, we are dealing with uh, a higher level of complexity than has ever been experienced in uh, human history and was beyond the imagination of the founding fathers. Hence us needing to rebirth at this time a quality of political process that meets the complexity of the challenges of our time. And that's what One Nation is bringing forward. And that's what we're going to keep talking about here on this podcast. Nice. Yeah. And, and uh, I think it's interesting also in my mind to kind of play with this idea of platform because in today's world, when we think of a platform, we often think of something like Uber or Facebook or something like that. That's a kind of like space in which or on top of which things happen. And I actually think that that's closer to the sort of platform that One Nation is bringing versus a kind of like ossified list of, you know, policy changes that the other, the dominant parties tend to bring. Like we're going to fight for this, 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 and this, and that's what we're about, right? Instead, it's this kind of like space where things happen. I think it's also useful because you know, we're also very keen on orienting towards using technology. And it occurs to me that like, you know, the, the, the same move that the founding fathers did of like saying like, okay, like we need a better way forward. We need a way of making decisions that will actually work for us in the years to come. Right. And so we're going to do whatever it takes in order to create the conditions by which we can sustainably make those kinds of good decisions. Uh, similar like they did that with the best technology they had at the time you know like parchment and horses and all of the things that allowed them to actually get together and use their skills to create a process that they believed would work and just so like do we can do that same move of just thinking together like what what do we have now in terms of our technology that actually might enable us to make decisions that are just like an order of magnitude wiser, more compassionate, more inclusive. Like, why isn't the government even asking itself that question? And more particularly, why aren't the two parties that are kind of in control of the government, like, why aren't they asking themselves this question, right? And that's a, I think that actually is a radical question, and it leads us you know, it, it, asking that question leads us to the creation of One Nation in a lot of ways. Or, yeah, I mean, I, I think that you're right on um, in your talk about platforms and how we think about Uber or Airbnb or Facebook. Um, and when you say it that way, then it makes it makes it feel like we should probably not be using the term platform when talking about other 
historic political parties. And just the word ideology is probably just a better word, right? It's the political ideology, but they don't actually really have a platform. Um, and uh, as you're describing it, as, as, as the millennials would, would understand platform to mean. Um, and, and that's exactly what One Nation is creating, is an actual platform, a platform of process, um, a platform that you can uh, throw infinite complexity into and, and, and have that turn into uh, meaningful outputs of sense-making and, uh, and choice-making and decision-making. And, <clears throat> and beyond that, to the technology point, there is a technological, there are, there's, a, there's a vast technological implications of being able to do that. Um, and we are committed to creating those platforms as well. So a literal software platform that allows this platform of process to be able to occur and to be able to parallel process in cities all across the country and simultaneously the states across the country and simultaneously the regions and, and at a national level. So this is this is what's needed right now. Um, and this is what we're, we're committed to bringing forward. And there's a couple right. core elements of that um, that that process how to start to think about it and um one of the first is beginning to really think about what what you mentioned when you're opening up which is togetherness and so i'd love to unpack that a little bit more i just want to name that because like that's that's the next natural place for probably this conversation to go is to look into what that what that actually means um because again you could say the word togetherness you say oh that's that's a that's a like a like a cheesy hippie thing to say right but I think it's important for us to really drill into and unpack what we mean when we say that. Right on. Well, let's 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 do that now. Let's look into that word and and what that kind of what kind of consciousness or what kind of possibilities that frame is inviting, right? And so, if your policy or if your let's say platform is process and it's about higher quality of conversations, that seems to mean that you're creating a context in which you know we can speak to each other in a new way, right? And that implies a kind of coming together that we don't really see much of, particularly in, our, in the realm of politics in our culture. And so, yeah, please un unpack that, kind of unfold that. What does it mean, this togetherness idea? Well, so as I said earlier, um, the existing political discourse is inherently divisive. Um, the, the, um, the, the very way that people define themselves in their campaign process is, is what they are and what somebody else isn't and, uh, how they're going to stand for the things that, uh, that, you know, their constituents wants and so-and-so isn't going to be able to do so. Um, we're, we're talking about a full abandonment of that entire frame that in, like leaving that in the rear view mirror. And, uh, cause that, that all comes down to basically one, uh, concept and one frame, one, one come from, which is win, lose. It's that we can win, even if it means that somebody else will lose. Hmm. And that's that, I mean, that, that's how, that's how capitalism leads to, uh, societal, uh, challenges and ecological challenges is because business owners are making some decision that 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 they're okay with winning the game with with making profit even if it means that somehow some externalities are gonna are gonna damage or hurt or subjugate 
some other types of people. So our, our whole world, our economy, our government is built upon win-lose. And that's, that's, that, that, that seemed to be tolerable to most people. Um, however, we're, we're coming up to the end of that being able to work for us anymore. And it, it's creating a pressure. And we can feel that pressure in America where there's, there's this like inherent divisiveness and it feels like something's going to pop. And that's why a lot of people say, oh, there's going to be civil war or there's going to be some major thing because just something feels like it's going to pop. And what we're bringing for is, is we actually believe that win-lose paradigm is going to pop and it's going to pop mm. into what we call win-win paradigm. And in win-win paradigm, there is a completely different premise around the whole conversation. And in that par- premise, we there's no tolerance in that premise to be right over another person being wrong or to win. If, even if that means another person losing, it's a premise that demands us to ensure methodically that all the, all the appropriate voices that have a meaningful perspective and stake in any given topic are able to be brought to the table. It means that those that are discussing topics have a certain level of training and maturation to be able to talk about topics and what matters to them on those topics without resorting to blame, judgment, shame, and villainization. Um, and it starts to reveal something fundamentally new. Uh, sometimes we call it, it's a brave new way because we can get comfortable in the ideological banter um, because everyone gets to stay com- in the place where they're most comfortable, which is believing that they're right. Mm-hmm. Um, with a brave new way, nobody gets that that safety net, that affordance of being able to start and stop the day, believing that how you started the day was the right way for you to end the day. Mm-hmm. Um, conversation, the very etymology of conversation is to turn together. And so to converse is really to bring our different perspectives together and to turn and to be changed and to be impacted and to be influenced and to listen deeply enough that we can... Um, realize how what we started the conversation with was actually a partial truth that mattered, but partial Mm. and put in relationship with other people's partial truths. um, We can see a whole new horizon that we couldn't actually see. So, so, so on the front end, um, conversating uh, to turn together can feel confronting for those that really want to protect being right. But once you let go of that piece, it's exhilarating to be in conversation. There's a certain euphoria because you're constantly expanding your, your perspective, which is inherently pleasurable. Um, if you are not trying to simply defend that, how you've thought about something is how you're going to continue to think about something, regardless of the inputs or your lack of receptivity to the inputs of other people. And so if we frame all of that by this existing ideological spectrum, this historic ideological spectrum where, you know, we kind of plotted the Republicans on the right and Democrats on the left and, and green party on the far left and um, libertarians on the far right, for example, then we can start to look at them from a whole new way and not think about them each kind of trying to um, make the whole world comply with the certain virtues and values and perspectives that they hold which is kind of how things have been thus far, which is why we get to gridlock because it's inherently insufficient to, I I don't want, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to live in a world that is the full 
scaled out holographic expression of any one of the parties. I don't want that world. Mm. What I do want is I want to live in a world where the best of those four respective parties is brought to the table and integrated to create a fantastically rich and meaningful and wise and loving world. And, uh, and so we, we've kind of uh, ascribed a certain uh, American, sacred American virtue is something I like to say to each of those four uh, primary parties in America and, and, and a whole new narrative around it, which is that they've each been carrying a, a sacred truth or a sacred perspective or a sacred American virtue and have been in, accidentally fighting each other. But really what we get to do now is stop fighting each other and just integrate all those different truths. Kind of like, you know, four people wanting to go on a road trip and emptying out all the cash they've got in their pocket and, putting it all on the table and seeing how far they can get right when they put all their pieces together. And so if you think about that frame, if you can come stick with me for just a little bit longer, then, then you can see, if you look at the libertarians, say, okay, what, if they don't have the whole truth, if they have a truth and what's, what's, what's a truth they have in spades. And that is the commitment to individual freedom and everything about their platform centers around that. And if you look at the Republican party, um, you take out all the biases if you love them or hate them and you just say, okay, what have they really been to stand for? What's central to that uh, ideology? And you come to the conclusion that something like personal responsibility or productivity or generativeness um, are the things that they're a stand for. And if you look at the Democratic Party, then if you distill that all the way down, then you might come to the conclusion of, of dignity and equality. And you look over the Green Party, you see that there's this this stewardship, um, this desire to steward the commons, the, the environment, the natural elements, the, the water, the air, the land, and the future generations of our humanity. And now all of a sudden you can take any topic and you can see how without all four of those voices integrated, anybody is going to be a no. Right, so let's look at, look at a welfare issue for for, for 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 a second, and you say that the uh, the the democratic uh, perspective would be to support the sick or the needy or the um, those that have been afflicted because they care about equality and dignity and they want to help people to rise. But if the Republican uh, listeners don't hear that that uh, policy or program speaks into the need for personal responsibility sufficiently, then they, as the holders of that perspective, will squash that policy coming from the other side because they are defending what they believe they're supposed to defend, which is the fact that personal responsibility and the individual's ability to be generative and productive is central. And they might sniff out some way that um, that, that uh policy conversation coming out of the democratic platform is actually undermining personal responsibility. So they say feel, they feel completely justified in fighting, but they're not fighting something that is um, inherently mutually exclusive or irreconcilable. They're just fighting for a narrative that hasn't been fully baked, taking into consideration that which they care the most about. So Ultimately, One Nation is a stand for a political discourse that that 
has strong philosophical bridges into each of these existing four American uh, parties and then leverages those perspectives to come to win-win conclusions around policy and programs that are fundamentally unprecedented in American political discourse. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I appreciate that. And uh, the way I kind of hear what you're saying is it's almost like each perspective, each, um, you know, kind of political affiliation, green, conservative, libertarian, or liberal, all hold uh, aspects of this larger truth or this larger synthesis that is a part of creating the best decisions that are possible to create for us. And so therefore they are each respectively like extremely like well-tuned to sniff out when that facet of truth isn't present when we're making choices together. And so we, it, it's, it's not so much as like, like, it's almost like we need each other. We desperately need each other in order to do what we now must do in the world we live in, which is make radically wiser and more intelligent choices. It's like no longer an option to pretend as if we're not all playing on the same team. A metaphor that I think works really well for that is the tent, right? Imagine four different tent tent stakes and raising the top and the center. It's like you, you need to pull those corners, the tent away from each other and secure them and, and, and fix them in firmly. And then once you do that, you can then raise the tent up. And we use the triangle metaphor with one nation as, as a part of our, uh, icon sentence, uh, front and center, because that is what, that's how we see it. We see that we don't want a middle ground. We don't want a compromise. We actually want a full integration and synthesis, listening deeply and intently for the important aspects that each of those tent stakes, if you will, is holding as they pull away from each other. And then use that, 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 that creative tension to ensure that the way that we're trying to plan our society takes into consideration all these different perspectives. And frankly, without that process, I feel incredibly um, discouraged about our ability to create a thriving future for America. Mm -hmm. And with that process, I feel completely encouraged. I feel like we actually do have what we take, what it takes to be able to be creative enough to, to work ourselves out of the challenge that we face without something uh, dystopic happening, um, it simply requires a different quality of conversation. And so when we talk about togetherness, it is a fundamental premise that what we're doing, we're doing it together. The policies we're creating, we're creating them together. The policies we're enacting, we're enacting them together. The <clears throat> impact of those decisions will impact all of us. Um, and so we start to look at at common ground as our starting point, not as differentiation as our starting point. We can get to differentiation, we can get to the unique perspectives, but let's start by realizing that everybody has some piece of the puzzle. Let's start by realizing that there is a shared humanity amongst all of us, right? Our children's future, 
the quality in, of, of our land and our water, the, the fear that we fear, the desire to be loving neighbors and good people and our nation as a beacon of fairness, opportunity, and goodness, the 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 feeling that that we have when we when we come to a wise decision that we actually feel is going to improve our society. I mean, this is our shared humanity, and everybody, regardless of where they've historically been plotted, can can connect to some degree of this shared humanity, whereby we, as a rising generation, are inheriting a slew of of challenges that impact all of us equally. And that we have children that want that we want we want a world that they can inhabit that's beautiful, that's fair, that is uh, prosperous, and and I just I, I don't think that we can create that future for anyone without creating it for everyone. So that's the that's the choice point we're at right now, is to stay divided, and divided we will fall or choose to come together in a whole new way, you know, respect our past, but don't be fully defined by it and draw a line in the sand and realize that the challenges of our time are creating a certain type of evolutionary pressure that's helping us to evolve as a society into something new. And that excites me. It feels exciting to feel like we're a part of, of this transformation. Um, and that is a transformation of society and that we can create a, a political process that not only helps us to solve our political issues, but actually helps to transform people mm-hmm. and our social systems and structures right alongside. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, because it occurs to me that we can only do this kind of process together if we are able to meet each other as we are. And we can, we ha- there has to be a kind of coming together, an invitation into togetherness in order for us to just do this work that you're talking about. Like we can't do it over here while some other large group of our society is kind of um, ostracized or not a part of it. It, ha- it, it, it. Yeah, that's it's so there's a beautiful invitation implicit within what we're talking about. Right. Yeah. And, and there's, and there's, there's this pain in society and pain is not a word that I hear a lot of people on the campaign trail talking about, but to me, I think it's one of the the most important words to acknowledge that there is this, this pain that lives and there's, and there's some pain that is specific to specific communities and specific histories. Um, and it's and, and and they all have their their heartbreaking stories that um, to try and wrap your mind and heart around the the ways that various communities have been subjugated. Um, but if you come out of the specific communities, the different races or the different interests in America, um, then you see there's these pains that are actually shared by almost everybody equally. And so again, when we look at, look at togetherness, we want to start the conversation around the pains that we share um, because that's, that's what breeds the, the togetherness and the realization that we need to be working together on these, these shared pains. And then uh, the pains that maybe just some groups feel and other groups don't feel we can address those 
on the other side of actually feeling a deeper sense of unity and care and empathy for each other, right? Because in working together, we start to humanize each other and in humanizing each other, we actually really start to care about the specific challenges that other people have that we don't. And so when I think about, when I talk about like shared pains, like what am I talking about here? Um, all of us are equally threatened by the pain of the erosion of our personal privacy and civil rights. We are equally pained by, by medical error, killing 5,000 Americans per week. Um, by massive chronic disease epidemics, by massive mental health epidemics, by a society that seems to um, keep generating just mass addiction uh, amongst our our relatives and our friends that we that we watch and, and many many times watch watch and feel helpless around. Um, the intellectual capacity of American children is deteriorating relative to our global community, and that's a shared pain that um, impacts people across the ideological spectrum, if you will. Um, there seems to be an increasing uh, frequency and severity of natural disasters. And uh, in sometimes, in some cases, a lack of full readiness or will or financial capacity to meet the needs of Americans that are so deeply uh, afflicted by these natural disasters. And again, it doesn't matter where on the ideological divide you are, that's a, that's a pain and a fear that's, got, that's e impacting people equally. Um, our water, soil, food, and air are all becoming compromised. All of that has correlate correlations in how quality of human health is decreasing. Um, I mean, the list the list goes on, right? The debt burden uh, of that, that that the American government is placing upon our children is going to impact uh, our our children, our children's children equally, regardless of the political affiliation of their parents, their grandchildren. Um, and so, this just gives you a, a sense of the shared pains that. When we start to look at them and we start to realize, you know, holy smokes, we've got to come together to look at these issues because um, the current narrative, the political warfare narrative, the polarizing topics narrative, because it's designed to divide people, the things that I just mentioned are almost not talked about in the American narrative, right? There, 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 there's a conversation on healthcare, meaning like, you know, let's improve healthcare coverage. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that we have inept systems that result in, you know, cutting the wrong leg off on a frequency that is jarring in America, right? And so these, these, these shared pains are, are not focused on because the whole system works by this divisive right wrong focal point and it can't actually survive focusing on shared injustices but but by focusing on these shared pains these shared injustices it pulls the power source away from the divisive narratives um, because it, it it reveals the, the the common humanity the shared humanity and so that's what a lot that's what frankly the, the two-party system has, has been afraid of is is the people actually uniting in their shared humanity and in the shared injustices and demanding that those things be looked at and focused on and uh that process of starting with our togetherness starting with our shared humanity is the process that one nation is committed to and is a process that I believe will absolutely transform American society and politics and that people are ready for it. I don't know for sure that one nation coming forward with this policy platform 
that it, it would have landed uh, 10 years ago or 20 years ago. But today in our environment, as it is today, and we're recording this, what, on November 7th, 2018, um, in this moment, there seems to be a profound readiness for, for something other than what Americans have been offered. Thank you, Christopher. And, and this is really just our first, um, you know, our first salvo, our first doorway into this big conversation uh, about the so-called platform of One Nation. And so I think this is a, was a great way to start it. There are further reflections and facets that we'll release um, more episodes about. But um, as always, for folks who are listening, um, you know, please, please, please come and, and join the conversation. If this is provocative to you, if this is uh, resonating with you, um, this is about us. This is about you. This is about the we that we could be if we approached politics in the way that we're inviting us to. And so, uh, Christopher, are there any, anything else you want to say before we close out for this conversation? Just to wet the whistle for the the part two of this conversation for the listeners now, we, we hope you come back and uh, and pick up where we left off, that what what I'd love to do in the next conversation is, is ground, uh, make definitive, um, actually how we start these conversations around historically polarizing topics that breeds a sense of togetherness. Um, so look forward to that. And I'd also love to uh, go a little bit more explicit into um, what this outline of this process is that we are committed to bringing forward to um, upgrade the American political process and the existing representative democracy that we find ourselves in, which is ripe for upgrade. So I'm really looking forward to sharing more of those topics. Awesome. Thank you, Christopher. Okay. Thank you, Daniel. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the One Nation podcast. The One Nation Party is made possible by your support. If you enjoyed this conversation, we invite you to explore membership and volunteer participation in the party by heading to www.onenation.party. That's www.onenation.party.